normally what we would do on Easter morning is we'd go to one of the Gospels and we'd read the Gospel story and it would be wonderful. And you can do that today. I encourage you to do that sometime today. Uh, But we're all very familiar with it. And so I actually want to do something slightly different today where we go and read uh, the most ancient Christian creed we have. And it's in 1 Corinthians 15. So Chris, if you'd come up, is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for these words that you've given us. And we ask, Lord, for ears to hear what you have to say. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. We love you. And we're so glad you're back from the grave. Amen. So um, this is something that may not be well known, but uh, scholars studying the text, uh, and I agree with them, believe that these verses right here, verse 3 through verse 7, are the earliest Christian creed we have. And here's the reason why. Some of it's the formation of it. And just kind of look at the verses. For I deliver to you, of first importance, what I also received, and here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do you guys feel the, the verse to that, the, the meter, the, the that because of this, and then that because of this, okay? And then he says, um, and then he appeared to Cephas, end of the 12. Then he appeared, do you see the repetitive language again, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And then the fun part is in verse 8, this probably wasn't what Paul received, but he adds on to the creed, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And part of the reason we think this is a creed is Paul is saying, I preached to you of first importance what I received. When Paul becomes a follower of Jesus, he goes to Jerusalem and he receives something and he receives this, this creed. Now, why would they communicate in this way? Why would they make a metered verse to remember these tenets of the faith? Because particularly in uh, the ancient world, memorization was a key aspect of education, like central to it. And you have a majority of the population that's illiterate. So when you're training, doing Bible training, you come up with things like this, with a creed. And actually, this creed is so ancient. Paul is writing uh, 1 Corinthians in 40 to 45, probably. And they date this creed as early as within the first few months uh, to the first three years after Jesus' death. This is what the early Christian community was saying. I believe that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures and that he was raised, he was buried. And three days later, he was raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. 
And then he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter's Aramaic name. He appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And he appeared to 500 people, some of whom have fallen asleep, which means some of whom have passed away now. And then also he appeared to James, Jesus' brother, the church in Jerusalem. And then as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Of course, talking about his conversion experience in the road to Damascus. How cool is this? So why, when I come across something like this in the scriptures, I have a couple questions. When we can put, think about how many important things there are to hold on to in Christianity. I mean, love, forgiveness, hope, all these things. How do we decide what goes into a creed? And and lots lots of various things, but this is what Paul is saying. This is of utmost importance. This is what I received, and so this is what I'm passing on to you. This is what we need to remember. And look at the opening. This is what he says. Now, I'm going to remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. What I love about that is that's an active uh, verb. It's not, and by which you were saved. This is the good news by which you are being saved today. We need the gospel every day. And here it is. And he lays it out before us in this creed. Now, I think part of the reason why they chose to make the creed in this form, emphasizing those things, is that this creed addresses the deepest questions we have about ourselves about our reality, about what we're up against. Think about the, like the big questions of existence. Why am I here? Where am I going? What happens after I die? Why do we die? All these questions are wrapped up in this creed, and that's actually what happens in the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. You can go home and read the rest of it later. We're going to explore some of it today. But he talks about the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus for you and I. And he addresses, if Christ wasn't raised, then look, look, at, look down at verse 12. Just skip ahead. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how come you, some of you say there is no resurrection? They were saying Christ was raised from the dead, but then that's it. The rest of us aren't going to be raised from the dead. What about when he says, um, verse 17... And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of most people to be pitied. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, what we're doing right now is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. Our faith is futile. And so foundational to this story is that there is a a truth that Christ was raised from the dead. Now, when we come come across these big questions, humans as as a species, what we do when we come across big questions is we use story to answer those questions. We use myth, lore, legend, fairy tale to address these big questions. Because honestly, fairy tales are powerful things. There are places where what's untrue becomes true. Where there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, where the fantastical becomes reality. But they're not true. 
They're fairy tales. In a sense, they're lies. So why do we tell these lies to the next generation? Why did the previous generation give us so many lies? I mean, we know the, like, we know <laughs> the beauty never pricked her finger. We know the tortoise never beat the hare. So why do we share these fables, these fairy tales, these stories? Is because there's truth in them. These worlds are very different from our own, but in some ways, they're just the same. There's, they're fraught with danger and darkness and a conflict between good and evil and right and wrong. And we, we, we see these stories and they somehow begin to inhabit us and they help us as we navigate this world. And I don't know... I don't know where the fairy tales that inhabit you begin. Maybe at Bag End or Privet Drive or maybe with just the phrase once upon a time in a land far, far away. Or Tatooine, who knows, you know, like. But these stories, we don't have to use a concordance book to look them up. I could tell you what happens. You can tell me what happens. They live inside us somehow. And the biggest difference between these fairy tales and us, it isn't actually the superpowers or the magic or the unicorns. The biggest difference is, and they lived happily ever after. When we get to that line, we leave the fairy tale and we enter into our world where we don't live happily ever after. Where we're plagued by greed and famine and pride and ambition. And it feels like nothing's ever changed. You just look at a history textbook and you see the same realities. And we look forward to the future, not full of hope, because Things have been really bad, and they're really bad today. And why would they not continue to be really bad? And so when we get to they live happily ever after, we close the book. And we return to our world. Now, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, about 2,000 years ago, in a land far, far away, 7,000 miles from here, there was a baby who was born, not in glory, very likely in a cave with animals around and things that animals leave around. This isn't a glorious story. Also, he, he's from Nazareth. Some of you guys have heard of Nazareth. This is podunk. This is as out in the sticks as you can be. And also, I don't know if you guys know this, Jesus and the disciples were hicks. They had hick accents. They recognized Peter. You talk like him. What good can come of Nazareth? And from this baby grows into a man's words. 
people around him find forgiveness and life in the midst of this darkness. And a movement begins to swell around this rabbi as he's traveling up and down from the north to the south. He's preaching love, forgiveness, the kingdom of God. And people's ears are burning. What is this new teaching? What is this goodness? There's an excitement building. And then he raises a guy from the dead just outside the city of Jerusalem and then marches down the hill into Jerusalem and people are going ballistic. They're waving palm branches in the air. Messiah's here. He's come. And then they killed him. And there again, we find the end that we're expecting. There is no happily ever after again. You can bury truth, but it'll come back out. Three days later, a group of women approach and find the stone rolled away, an empty tomb. Could this be him back from the dead? And then he begins to appear. Did you guys know Acts tells us he appeared for 40 days? Appearing to over 500 people. Teaching them about the kingdom of God. What's beautiful about this story and where it ultimately departs from fairy tale is that it really happened. And this story becomes a bedrock of our souls. If fairy tales and the truth somehow inhabit us, this becomes what we build our lives upon. That Jesus came out of that grave. He rose again. And in doing so, he defeated death and sin and offered you and I eternal life that begins today. Thank you, Jesus. Happily ever after, where if you're not uh, a part of Orchards and you're new here today, we're in a series on Revelation. This is what happily ever after has become. Revelation 21, 3 through 5. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many tears? Some of them? Every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And this happens because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And then he was buried and he rose again. And what we're celebrating today is this truth, is this reality. And we approach our lives knowing that what Romans said is true. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. If you've surrendered your life to King Jesus, resurrection power 
lives in each of us. So Paul takes this truth, this story that is true, and talks about the ramifications of it. Let's look at uh, verse 20. But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus came back from the dead, and he's the first taste of a harvest. If you call Jesus King, Savior, Lord, you will be bodily raised from the dead. Physical resurrection as he was into our heavenly bodies. What an incredible hope we have. And then look down at verse 24. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I think sometimes, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we get that mixed up. We talk about death being, uh, we try to spin death in a really good way, like, oh, it's okay, you know, God really wanted him or her early, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Biblically, death is the enemy of humanity. We're not meant for death. We weren't created for death and separation. We were created for life and eternal life. And Jesus conquered death at the grave. Praise be to God. Look at how he closes this section in verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. You can find that over nurseries and churches across America, that verse. I'm going to read it again. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. (laughs) Verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true in Isaiah 25. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It's gone. You cannot find it anymore. And then from Hosea, O death, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And look how Paul goes on. He says, the sting of death is sin. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins and was buried and rose again, he conquered death and sin and invited us to join him in that victory. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of something you've done or I've done, whether we were on good behavior or bad behavior. If you need any proof of that, look at the story of the thief on the cross. I I don't think there's St. Peter at the pearly gates, but I just, just to set the stage for this scene, just imagine. He shows up. 
Peter's, oh, Peter's still on earth. I don't know what's happening here. Anyways, go with me for the metaphor. Angel shows up and says, hey, man, what, what did you do to get in here? It's like, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, well, what's your doctrine of the atonement? I, um, that's a big word. I, <laughs> what right do you have to be here? The guy in the middle cross said I could come. That's it. That's it. Verse 58. Therefore, ah, yes, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because if we're not back from the dead, it's all in vain. If Jesus wasn't raised, it's in vain. But we know he was and we know we will be. And therefore we stand firm. We're not tossed to and fro by the waves of the sea, by current events, by our circumstance. We're rooted and planted in the person of Jesus, King Jesus, who's back from the grave. And we stand with him. We say, I'm with that guy. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do what he tells me to do because he's my king. So what do we do? We devote ourselves fully to his work. Now, sometimes this truth is too good for me. It's too good to be true. And so I begin to treat it like a fairy tale. And it's not a fairy tale. But it has all these things where the untrue becomes true, where the impossible not only becomes possible, but becomes reality. And to bear the weight of this story well, I have to accept how ridiculous it seems that even one such as me can be forgiven. And all these things that seem impossible become possible in Jesus. Reconciliation, forgiveness, repentance, the chains of sin being thrown off. It's possible in Jesus. I've got two invitations for us. Um, There's a beautiful passage in Revelation chapter 3. It says this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Does Jesus love you? Yes. Yes. All right, get ready. (laughs) So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He's writing to Jesus people. He's talking to followers of Jesus here. You and me. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Just open up. Jesus wants to talk to you today. He wants to have a meal with you. Sit down and listen. He loves you. To the one who is victorious, 
I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. It's the invitation to conversation and victory with Jesus because of what he already did for us. So if Jesus is Lord and King of your life, I want to invite you to this conversation with Jesus. This conversation that says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your work is not in vain because Jesus rose from the grave. And if you're here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, open up that door. Let Jesus speak to you. He loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. There's forgiveness in Jesus. No matter what. And if anyone gives you a hard time about that, just say, I know that guy. You're right. I've, I've got nothing to merit this on my own. You're 100% right. All I've got is him. There's an invitation from Jesus to join with him in the victory over death and sin. And if that's you, we're going to have someone over here at this rug afterwards. Just go and say, hey, I want to open that door and let Jesus in. Would you stand with me? Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for being our king. Thank you that you rose from the dead and invited us into victory and life over sin and death. Jesus, right now, we want to open the door and be with you and talk with you and engage with you. Thank you, praise you, bless you for what you have done and what you are doing. Amen.